In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... I really want to lose three pounds. Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. Diet starts tomorrow. Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. I want to quit the gym. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. With hosts Aileen Cooperman... Joey does a shampoo! ...and Sammy Fishbein. Whatever, I'm getting cheese fries. Hello, welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Aileen. I'm Sammy. And today we are joined by an incredibly special guest. We've been talking about intuitive eating for so long now. Um, you guys have been following me as I talk about it more and more every week. And so today we have with us the co-author of Intuitive Eating, Elise Resch. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. Um, so Elise, you are, <laughs> I just want to read back your credentials to you. Um, you are a MSRDN, C-E-D-R-D-S, and then, and then F-A-D-E, F-A-D-A, F-A-N-D. You have, you're, and you have 38 years of experience specializing in eating disorders, intuitive eating, and health at every size. And you've co-authored or singular, singularly authored all of the intuitive eating books. So welcome to this podcast. We are so happy to have you. Thank you. And you've also, I'm sure everybody knows, you've been my been coaching me through into my intuitive eating journey recently, and it's been amazing. <laughs> so welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Our audience is um, super interested in intuitive eating. Um, I think that just in the past few weeks, as we've been talking about it, um, going on like obviously our own personal journeys. This is a huge conversation for us. So I guess we wanted to talk about just from we've we've defined it before, but from your perspective, can you sort of you are the you're the intuitive eating queen. Can you explain what intuitive eating is? Yes. Well, the majority of babies are born with all the wisdom they need to have to eat. They know when they're hungry, they know when they're full. Uh, when they start eating solid food, they know what they like and what they don't like. So intuitive eating is about reconnecting with that internal wisdom. It's a self-care process. And the definition that I love the most is a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought. And that really has to do with the triune brain or the three parts of the brain, the reptilian uh, part, which is came from the uh, time of the dinosaurs, and so it's appropriately the reptilian part, and that sits at the brainstem, and it's where all instinct is. Dinosaurs, you know, they just had a survival instinct, and so they'd see another little dinosaur or some plants, and they would eat them without having any feelings or thoughts. And then when animals evolved to mammals, the next part of the brain developed, which is the limbic or mammalian part, and that's the seat of emotions and social behaviors. So anybody who has pets knows that, you know, they have feelings, and um, but they can't express those feelings and thoughts. And what differentiates us as humans is the neocortex or the cognitive part of the brain. So that's why the best definition for me is that is that dynamic interplay of all three parts, instinct, emotion, and thought. 
So it's interesting because I think when any other time I've heard it described, um, people don't go into that sort of primitive um, explanation of it. And I think that what a lot of people are missing is exactly how this is the natural state and what we're ex- what we experience at, in society through exposure to diet culture is actually the abnormal thing. So can you explain, I guess, like the, the interface between um, our exposure to diet culture and trying to be uh, trying to engage in intuitive eating? Well, you know, diet culture is so toxic and it worships thinness and it equates it to um, health and, you know, moral virtue and it promotes weight loss as the way to get there. And so it's really a cult. I've been <laughs> lately realizing that cult is in the word diet culture and it actually um, it brainwashes people to believe that they're not okay if they're not reaching that culturally thin ideal. And so it sends them out to do all these things that are not sustainable and that are harmful and traumatic. And intuitive eating is the opposite. I mean, intuitive eating is about uh, the radical acceptance that our bodies are programmed DNA-wise to be a certain size, shape, height. Nobody questions how tall they are or what color their eyes are. They just they just accept that. But most people in our culture, uh, and not in just America, all over really, think that they can change that and fix it to match this ideal, which is um, not possible. And so they end up feeling, you know, very traumatized and very bad about themselves and guilty and full of shame. I don't know if that answered the question. No, no, it does. Yeah. I think that's helpful. What, but I feel like a lot of people though, like, but, back to what Sammy was saying, that a lot of people don't really see, when when people talk about intuitive eating, whether like on social media or whatever, I don't feel like they're really embracing what it actually means unless you've read the book or unless you've worked with like a certified um, nutritional therapist or whatever. Um, But I feel like a lot of people just think, oh, it's, you could just eat whatever you want. It's like the opposite of dieting. Yeah, or they think it's mindful eating, or they think, or they think it's just taking, taking, listening to yourself as you chew. (laughs) So, so those are common misconceptions. So, so what is it like? What is it in practice really like? Okay, so first of all, let's dispel those myths. Intuitive is not the hunger fullness diet. It's not just about eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. There, that's part of intuitive eating is starting to become attuned to hunger and fullness. Um, and it's not just eat anything you want at any time without being attuned to how does your body feel? How does it taste? And this part about mindful eating, certainly there's a, a real um, emphasis on staying present when eating so that you can notice the satisfaction and to me, satisfaction is the driving force of intuitive eating, uh, and you know to how to how you feel. So, sure, you have absolute freedom to eat what you want as much as you want, and stay mindful, stay present. Is it satisfying you? How does it you know How does it feel in your body? You know what what is the driving? Well, I say the driving force is satisfaction. For some people, the driving force of uh, is trying to push away feelings or push away, you know, any kinds of stress they have in their lives. So, um, so intuitive eating is not the things that we're just talking about. It is about attunement. It's about, uh, there's a, a concept called interoceptive awareness, which is being tuned into all the signals that your body gives you, the internal signals. 
And that's what intuitive eating is really based on. It's listening to your body without judgment about what you eat, without judgment about your size, without trying to achieve a different size or shape. So, so I will say I've actually like tried intuitive eating and I'm one of those people who like failed at it because I gained weight and then I got engaged and I had the wedding tie, which is going to come to a close on Sunday. It's all going to be over um, as this episode's coming out, literally. Um, but for me, that that was all great. And it was a real, it was a teaching moment about listening to my body and and kind of like it helps me get over like the belief that a diet would ever work for me. But where I ran into um, a snag was like the fat phobia element of myself, like this uh, internalized fat phobia and then some signals I was getting externally that are fat phobic. So once you've kind of conquered the personal part of it, how do you deal with societal fat phobia. Well, I think even just to, before you answer that, I think that was like, we, we posed that question. We posed, what, what do you want to know from Elise? Right. And almost so overwhelmingly, the question is how do you deal with the fear of gaining weight? I work with you on that all the time. I'm like, <laughs> you know, like just wanting to cry. But I think that's like a lot of people saying, how do you start if you're scared? And I think a lot of people are scared of gaining weight. Like that is the number one fear. So how do you combat that? Well, first, I want to speak to what, what Sammy said in terms of she tried or you tried intuitive eating. And the operative word there was try, which says to me, it's, you know, it's something I'll just I'll try this out. And if it doesn't work, no, I'll go back well, some diet. Well, it, at the time, I didn't think I was just trying. You can, if you wanted, I wouldn't maybe waste your time, but you could like listen to the episode Aileen and I did oh. about intuitive eating when I really was into it. And uh -huh. then- the, you know, and I know in the book that you wrote that that is actually very common that people, you know, it takes them more than one round, I guess, for it to work. And you have to really believe that you, uh, it will work for you. And I will say now I do really believe that. Um, but I am still grappling with certain things. Like, honestly, I'm grappling with like being afraid of gaining weight, which is okay. what we're talking about. All right. So let's look at that in two parts. One of the parts has to do with um, in the beginning of embracing, let's use that word rather than trying, embracing intuitive eating. Um, one has to go through a process of eating as much as they want or as you know often as they want of foods that have been previously forbidden. And so sure, sometimes people do gain a little weight in the beginning. But their fear is that they'll be out of control forever and that will never stop. And that's not true. It's impossible because as long as it's, it is, it's impossible. You don't know us. You don't know me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why it's impossible. It goes back to what I was saying about being DNA programmed, our bodies. Our bodies don't want to be smaller. They also don't want to be a lot bigger than they are DNA programmed. I've even had people who want to gain weight, try to gain weight, and their bodies are just, uh, you know, programmed to be very, very, very small, and they're not happy with it. So if you are truly, truly committed to and embracing intuitive eating, your body can't continue to gain weight because it won't continue to gain weight. The, for people... And, and I want to go to this other part about fat phobia, of course, but let's just stay with, you know, science right now. Um, for people who are um, 
truly starting to tune in and going through the process of habituation, which means the greater the stimulus, the less the response. So meaning that when they have full freedom to eat whatever they want and aren't thinking that they won't have it in the future deprivation-wise, they just eat what their bodies need and their bodies end up being where they're meant to be. The problem is, is if their bodies are meant to be somewhere larger than their you know, diet culture and their fantasies lead them to wanting to be. So I think that's part of this. The fat phobia leads people to being terrified of being a certain size that we live in a world of weight bias and weight stigma. It's actually a social justice issue for me. And uh, I think we're all now so aware of oppression in the world in so many different ways, learning more about, you know, systemic racism and, and all the other, uh, you know, pieces of oppression, but nobody seems to realize that weight stigma, fat phobia is a piece of oppression because there are so many people in the world who aren't programmed to be in these, you know, thin, small, uh, model-sized bodies that they're wishing they could be. And so they go out in the world and are faced with weight stigma. And uh, it's really a big component of, of a health issue. And it's not the size of the person, it's the weight stigma that keeps them from really taking you know good care of themselves getting to the doctor because they're afraid of being shamed by the doctor that they need to lose weight um so i mean we really have to um challenge the the, the fat phobia and look at us look at our values and ask ourselves if we really get down into our authentic selves is this how we want to be um evaluated or or evaluate ourselves in terms of our size are there more and deeper pieces of ourselves that we can love and and be grateful for and express. I mean, it, it's you know, it's so limited, it's so reductionist to think that we are we are our bodies, we are the size of our bodies. So, do I have the answer to fat phobia? I mean, it's like, do I have the answer to racism? You know, it's just it's something that we really have to look at. You know, do a deep dive into and look at and ask ourselves: Do we want to be part of that oppression? I mean, I will say that ultimately what I think has helped me to embrace um, the, this mind, this method of thinking, or at least like this, this direction and a trajectory is because I got sick of like wasting my time and my headspace and my capabilities on like trying to make myself smaller against yeah. what all science says and my genetic makeup and my familial habits going back generations. Like right. it's just, it's just sort of ridiculous that I'm going to like run myself ragged until I die because I want to be small. But then, and, and yes, sitting in my, my bubble, not having any stimuli, that's like great. But then like I'll, a lot of it for me, I think goes back to like clothing and like having to show up in a certain way and knowing, and because of this weight stigma that you just spoke about, mm -hmm. um, kind of feeling like, oh, do people think I look bad? Or it's all sort of about like feeling this need, this obligation, not an obligation, but a need to look a certain way. And then when I don't live up to that standard, I feel like, oh, maybe it's worth just restricting myself so I can feel I don't know but then you never feel totally good anyway so it just never really but I don't know. even if it were worth it and I really beg to differ but even if it were worth it it's not sustainable 
So restriction no. inevitably <laughs> leads to overeating and our, you know, our genetics program us to get back to what we're, where we're meant to be. I used the term radical acceptance before, which I think is really profound. It's like radical acceptance. What is it? Accepting what is not changeable. So it sounds as if there, you know, two parts of that happened for you. One of them was, as you said, this is my body. These are my ancestors. You know, this is it. The other part is so deep and important. Do I want to use my time and energy, you know, on something that number one is not achievable and number two doesn't have really deep values to it when you look at it? You know, right, so, right. So, so many people are, you know, grow up with in families, whether it's their parents or their grandparents who are appearance oriented, weight centric, and they're programmed from the time they're tiny. I have so many clients whose eating disorders probably started at, you know, four or five years old because parents were worried about them. And it always comes, comes from, oh, well, I care about you. I don't want you to have problems in the world. You know, so this is why I'm trying to restrict what you're eating. And it starts right then. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. If, so, but then if you think about like the alternative of being like an intuitive eater, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not that it's not that you'll never like want a salad. It's almost like you naturally will then eat quote unquote healthy healthy as in like what when you're on a diet sorry to use these words but like when you're on a diet you're told to eat from the external but your body will naturally want a balance of these foods like yesterday yeah I'll tell you on our call in, in a couple of weeks but yesterday I went downstairs and I was starving um I had time like an hour between two calls and I went downstairs and I'm like I'm starving and it would have been easier for me to just grab something like like there was like a bagel sitting up front, but I was like, no, that's not what I want. Like I kind of really want like a crisp, fresh, something delicious. And I like made a salad and yeah, it took me time to chop that shit up. But like, it was so satisfying afterwards. And I sat there, I was like, wow, I'm so happy I took the time to make this. But say I was on a diet, right? I would have, it's the same result. I would have forced myself to make the salad, but I wouldn't have been satisfied. 
No, right? and then when you weren't satisfied, you'd go on to get you know, go get afterwards and, cookies or yeah. whatever, or eat the bagel. But instead, I had my like cookies for later when I like was excited to have them later. You know, <laughs> so, so what you, you know what you're saying, Aileen, is that when you take away this external pressure to be healthy or to be thin, and you yeah. really start tuning in. For the most part, my four favorite words, for the most part, you're going to get a pretty decent balance of all kinds of foods, the, the nutritious, the ones that have more nutrients in them, and the play food, which is what I like to call it, rather than junk food, because junk goes in a trash can, and we all need to play. <laughs> so the play food. So, um, the, and I said for the most part, because I will say that people who have grown up in with food insecurity, with you know, poverty with an inability to get access to that salad that you're talking about, yeah. maybe don't have a natural tendency, you know, towards certain foods. So, but for the most part, intuitive eating is a privilege. And so we have to have access to, you know, to what we want to have. And um, so you have, it sounds as if you were tuned in by satis into satisfaction. That salad really satisfied you. It was because yeah. that's what you were craving. And I was paying attention like to what textures or like what flavors or how I wanted to feel afterwards. Right. Like that's, that's also something that I was like tuned in, like exactly like, do I want to feel like something light and watery? Um, and then I was, I, it was like such an active, like present moment. I was like, do I want avocado? Do I want this taste? And it was very, and that's as I built this delicious salad I posted it on my Instagram because I was so proud of it and then I was like oh there's corn like so I chopped I was like a freaking emerald like bam in the kitchen it's so fun um but it like was such a it was it was such a nice experience to have that I never would have appreciated had I not been kind of like in this practice and I've talked about this in the in previous episodes but the thing that stood out to me in from from the book is it's kind of like in the beginning about talking about like ditching the diet mentality is like how the people often will come to you and be like, what do you mean you're going to do intuitive eating? You're just going to like eat whatever you want, like that whole thing. And how it's like, well, no, I've, I've been following nutrition. I, I know every single number, I know every calorie and number of fat. I, I know somebody who's doing Weight Watchers that I'm living with and I'm like, I can, I know how many points are in everything. And that has not helped me <laughs> thus far in life. So let's try this other approach that might help. Maybe let's look within. So that's always kind of like the, the driving. Yeah. And, and, and let's also look at this concept of health as you're talking about healthy food or maybe right. not. I like to look at health in the bigger picture, mental health being a huge part of it. And I think that people who are tend to be orthorexic, which is, you know, just trying to choose the healthiest, uh, I hate the word clean, you know, foods, no, clean, you know yeah. it's not the food that didn't fall on the ground. But anyway, um, you know, those, I, I tend to find that people who are being so, um, specific and worried about what they're eating, they're actually raising their cortisol levels, which is, cortisol high cortisol is really implicated in in health and you know um, emotionally mentally they're not quote healthy quote unquote healthy because they're worried all the time and they're not engaging in a fuller life so yeah i just throw that in about healthy and also the other thing i wanted to say is and if you had wanted the bagel with the um with the salad great too you would just right you know, there's nothing wrong with the bagel it's just that you you tuned in to i just like didn't want it yes right. yeah 
the, the, the textures. I think you've read, you've read the satisfaction chapter, it looks like. <laughs> oh, I've read the whole thing like twice. <laughs> That's all of the um, books. I think well, let's get into like the actual specifics of the, the process of becoming okay. an intuitive eater. Because yes. I think that's because anytime Sammy and I talk about this, we're always like talking, we're skirting the issue. We're always talking about like mm -hmm. body image, which are like important factors of it. But the actual process of becoming an intuitive eater, how does one start? Okay, so I take it a little differently than some other people do. Um, I, although the starting place has to be with examining diet culture and your diet mentality and recognizing that you don't want to live your life, as Sammy was saying, anymore and waste all of your, you know, right. vital energy on, on weight loss and dieting. So that's the first piece. You have to be at that place and be uh, uh, saying, I'm with dieting. I'm not going to do that again. Once you get there, I like to dive right in to satisfaction. Uh, a lot of people, and I say I do it differently than other people, a lot of people like to look at hunger and fullness. And I think you can get a little caught up in, am I eating at the right hunger number? Am I stopping at the right fullness level? I say, screw that. Just start looking at um, how satisfying is your food? Are you uh, finding that if you start eating when you're not hungry, is it particularly satisfying? And I would say it's universal when I ask that question. You know, my typical question is, would you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on your way to this fine restaurant if you could go to one now? But, um, and everyone says, well, no, of course not. And I say, why? Well, because it won't taste good. It won't be as satisfying if I'm not hungry. So if you look through the lens of satisfaction, you're going to naturally know to eat when you're moderately hungry. If you're over hungry, if you're starving, uh, you know, the survival part of your brain is going, uh-oh, organism in danger, red light. You know, if you're that starved, you're not going to be able to get satisfaction. So it teaches you to make sure you eat throughout the day so that you don't enter any meal in primal survival mode, you know, hunger. And it also has to do with this making peace with food. If you're still holding judgment about some foods are good foods, some foods are bad foods, some foods are healthy foods, some foods are not, you can't really get true satisfaction because your mind is being taken up with, oh, I don't know if I should eat that. It's not so healthy for me. So every one of the intuitive eating principles really can get connected to satisfaction if you lead from there. So in answering your question, Aileen, that's where you start. You start really examining what makes a satisfying meal for me. What's the environment like that's most satisfying? You know, like there was uh, some workmen in my kitchen the other day, and uh, I didn't really want to be in there. And the kitchen table had all kinds of stuff on it. And that would not have been a satisfying meal. So I walked out and went into the dining room and ate there. Yes, go ahead, Sammy. Can I ask, can I ask like sort of a pre-starting question? Sure. So... <laughs> Yeah. So I'm sure you've seen like a range of, a range of people and spoken to a range of people and a range of stories. Can yes. you sort of like, I, and, and because it is such a journey, there's setbacks and there's, you know, there's you know, ups and downs. Can you sort of like identify how someone knows that they're ready to actually do this for what it is and that they're not chasing that feeling that we often get when we discover a new diet like, mm -hmm. ooh, this will be the thing that will work. Like, I know that I know that with intuitive eating, like that was sort of how I felt. Not that yeah. it would be the thing that works to make me lose weight, but it would be like it would like solve everything. Um, 
And, and I know that that's like a feeling people who are addicted to dieting chase. So how do you know when you're just like experiencing that feeling versus like ready to do it for what it is and like really let go? There's so many roots to that, but I think primarily people are just so tired of being told what to eat and what size they should be. And, um, they are at a point where they just know, you know, inside intuitively, I'll use the term, that they cannot ever go on another diet. That doesn't mean they might not hold that, you know, weight loss hope with right. them. Because it's, you know, how can I, mean, I never judge people for having that in their minds, because they're so programmed to be there. But it's really at that place where you know, that you cannot possibly think about eliminating certain foods or having certain amounts of foods or being told what to do. And that's the place where, you know, so I think I would say that that is the key, not so much. Are you no longer holding that, you know, fantasy hope? This is the best thing in the world for me. I don't think you can know that until you live it, that it's going to be the best thing in the world. And I don't think you can know that, um, you're ready to have this radical acceptance of your body until you're living such a better life because you've let go of, you know, of dieting. So. Right. That makes and sense. I think just also speaking from experience, I feel like I was ready when I recognized that I could never go on a diet again. But at the same time, I still, I was scared of gaining weight. I was, I was still wanted to potentially one day still like, like I, but it, all I just knew was like, there has to be something else that doesn't, feel so stressful or restrictive. Um, there has to be some trust in yourself at some point <laughs> in your life. And you know, like that, that to me was kind of like the bell, but also I feel like a lot of dieters like think like an absolute thinking or like black and white thinking, or I know we don't say that anymore, but, um, all nothing thinking, <laughs> all or nothing thinking. And I think that like for me, especially like kind of my OCD will trigger, like I'll feel like, oh, I have to do it exactly the right way that it says. And I can, and then if I, if I don't do it, then I'm a failure. With this, it's like you read the book, see if it's for you, right? Uh -huh. Like see that you don't need, there's nothing, you know, at the same time, I'm like, I'm still gaining weight no matter what I'm doing, <laughs> like when I'm on a diet anyway. So how is this really going to be harmful to me? If anything, it's just a new approach to read. So I feel like if you like approach it with like softness and like uh -huh. compassion, uh -huh. it's, it, it's not as scary. What? You described it perfectly because not that there's anything that's perfect, but you described it as, okay, you weren't really ready to challenge fat phobia. You weren't really ready to give up some fantasy, but you knew you couldn't do it the other way anymore. And so now what? If I can't do it that way, what else is there? And this was offering you a possibility. And as I said, until you were living it, until you're actually experiencing it, right. Get to that place where um, you can start to let go of the diet culture myths. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always find the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. 
Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. We had a question that came in that I I especially really liked um, because it came from a listener that actually came on our podcast. So, And she writes in always when... She really wants to know something. So I really like this one, but, and I could really relate to her question. So the question is how to deal when something tastes so good and you want so, more of that taste in your mouth, but you, you know what I mean? But like in, but intuitively you think you should stop. So how do you deal with that kind of feel? Well, it depends on where you are on the continuum here. When you're beginning the process, you just have to give yourself the freedom to continue to eat it. My only caveat is stay present. Because what happens for so, so many people is once they jump into something that, you know, they previously thought they shouldn't be doing, then they go somewhere else. And they're really not noticing that it continues to be that delicious. So right. give yourself the permission. Take as many bites as you need. Eat as much of it as you need. Do it a little more slowly so you can taste it and start noticing how your body feels. And what happens eventually um, you realize that food doesn't taste quite as bit good if you eat all the cookies in the bag or you eat the entire, I, I had a bowl of pasta Saturday night that was so enormous that if I, it was so good, but if I finished every bite of it, I would have been so uncomfortable. I would have gone to sleep with reflux. It would have been, you know, not something I wanted. So here's the key. And I wrote a paper on this called the sadness of saying enough. And what that means is that in anything in life, whether it's a great vacation or an amazing book, this is how I always feel when I'm toward the end of a book, I want to know what happens. And then I'm so sad. It's over. Same thing happens with eating. When you get to that point where you know that you're going to feel physically uncomfortable afterwards, or you see that it's not quite as delicious as it was in the first few bites, you have that moment of sadness. It's like, ah, oh, this great experience is it's coming to an end. And I, I've often called that feelings light versus feelings heavy. I mean, it's not deep depression. It's not enormous, you know, deep anxiety disorder. Or it's, it's a moment that if you stay with it for just a moment and then you get up and do something else, it passes. And you and you also tell yourself, I can have this again whenever I'm hungry again. It'll be more delicious. It'll be more satisfying. My body will feel good by not being over full. So um, yes, it is something to, to reckon with that. It is sad. I feel that way when I, <laughs> that moment with the positive, it was like, oh, this is so good. I'd like to, you know, go have more of it. But okay, done. It, it's really... 
This really speaks to something I experience often, which is that like I eat because like if, if I have something that tastes good, like I will make myself feel so sick and uncomfortable, but I'll keep eating it because the taste feels good. And so I'm like, I'm like making myself uncomfortable for, for the sake of having a good feeling, which is yeah. definitely like a whole piece. But that's so, like emotional that enters into emotional eating territory, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, well, <laughs> it's definitely not normal behavior. Having known you now for, you know, half an hour or whatever. Yeah. My, my sense is, is that if you really did take a moment, a time out, at that point, yeah. I'm out, at that point when you recognize that you're starting to get full, that you don't want to stop eating because it's so good, I can sense already that you could tolerate that feeling. If you were able to, you know, that feeling of sadness, if I stop now, because it's so good. If you were also able to support yourself by saying, you know what, I'll have some more of this in, you know, a couple hours when I'm hungry again. This is not my last chance to have this food. Right. It's hitting me that the reason I think I do that is because for years I would like tell myself last bite, last bite, last bite. And then I would log it in the calories because like that was the last bite where like logging the day. And so I would never, it would be the restriction of it would make it taste so good. Correct. Because but it was you the last have bite. It all day long, you know, after a while, you know, if you start with the, uh, the pasta in the morning for breakfast, by the time it's dinner time, you have it at every meal. It's like, oh, give me that salad that, that Aileen made. You know? I mean, I can eat pizza. Yeah, two weeks ago I ate pizza for all my meals in one day. So, and it was I could do it again. So, well, and, okay. And what I would say to you, if you were my client, I would say do it every day for as long as you need to for every meal. Wow, just that enjoy it, and and then tell me, you know, how you uh, how many days do you really, really are craving it? I I had a client who said to me her favorite food was a grilled cheese sandwich, and it, ironically, there's this great little restaurant. Uh, in LA that um, had grilled cheese week. And she said, Oh my God, it's, you know, this restaurant's having grilled cheese week. I'm going to go there every day. And she had the privilege of being able to do that. And when she came back to me the next week, she said, Oh, after three days, I didn't want to look at another grilled cheese sandwich because she had, you know, full, you know, permission that she gave herself. I guess that she thought yeah. I was there, but she had to give herself to do that and to really stay present. And she could have grilled cheese sandwiches forever if she wanted. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm actually experiencing something similar because, so I, like I mentioned, I'm on this wedding diet, but I said, and I've said on past episodes, I will never go on a fucking diet again. I'm going to eat whatever the fuck I want forever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Never again will I do, do this, but I couldn't, like get over the feelings towards how I looked in my dress and for the wedding to like not restrict myself prior. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like not there yet. But I know that after like the wedding, it's it's done. Like I don't. I'm so is free. the wedding Sunday? Is the wedding Sunday? Sunday yeah. So well, I'm free. So I'm free soon. on Sunday. Like <laughs> after that, and then. Well, but so normally I look at a vacation. So I'm going on my honeymoon after. And normally I look at a vacation like, oh, this is my time. I have to like get everything because like after the vacation, like the diet's going to start again. Yep. But I look, I don't, when I think about my honeymoon, normally when I think about a vacation, I think about food, like all the food I'm going to eat, like everything. I haven't barely thought about the food I'm going to eat on our honeymoon because I'm sure I'm going to love it. 
but like it's not the last time I'm going to get to eat because when I get home, someone offered to send me a cake for something and they're sending me a cake that I'm going to get when I have my honeymoon and like it's not going to end. Like I get to have anything forever. Well, see, after that's, Sunday. That's, the, that's the main point, isn't it? That if you can have access to food, you're going to have it forever and you're going to have it probably five times a day, you, you know, meals, snacks, six, sometimes six times. And so uh, it really calms down that part of you that's so afraid of being deprived because you won't be deprived. Yeah. It's weird that I have in my 31 years of life, I've never been on a vacation and not thought about how I'm going to have to like restrict after a vacation Con ever. Not once. Agreed. Yeah. The control. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like looming. Yeah. Sure. And that's why people, when, when they have that mentality, they go on vacation and eat so much and do gain a lot of weight on the vacation because they're eating way beyond what they need because they're priming themselves for the future deprivation. That happens right. to, oh my goodness. I was talking to someone, um, the other day who had told me she had restricted and restricted. She was older. She was more my age. But when she was younger, she had restricted and restricted. And then she got pregnant. And she said, I'm not going to use a number, but she used, she gained a lot of weight during her pregnancy because she said, this is the only time I'm going to do this. And I'm going to be let myself eat whatever I want during this pregnancy. And that's what people do who have been restricting before and think that they have to go lose all that weight real quickly afterwards. Yeah, do, it becomes to, like a yeah. I do have to say though, it's it's for anybody who is listening and in the process of the intuitive eating. I feel like I know there's like ten principles, but I feel like it's constantly they're constantly like intertwined. Like it's it's not always like you have to do it on all these phases. It's not always like okay, you doing the phase of where you're eating everything you want. You're allowing yourself to have all the grilled cheeses or all the Oreos in my case or whatever. Right. Um, it, it happens in waves. So like if I've, if I feel like, Oh, I don't need another, um, I don't feel emotionally attached to the, to the, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Mm -hmm. But then later, like months later, I might suddenly feel that I might be triggered by something or like with the scenario that I'm in, I like recently I felt that feeling with Oreos mm -hmm. and it came back. And I'm, and then I, re I remember I was like, I was like, what will, what would Elise say to me right now? Do you feel that maybe you're going to take those Oreos away from yourself? Subconsciously, do you think that they're going to go away? And the answer was like hundred percent. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so like the diet mentality, it doesn't go away. It stays there. Like, right. For, for yeah. a long time. <laughs> as you're saying Oreos, I'm like, yeah, I, I recognize Oreos as like, the high cat, high cal, high caloric density food that they are, and I see probably why they would be dietetically traumatic for you. Like mm -hmm. I get that. Well, um, but just, this is a process. So to what Aileen is saying, is it's a process, and I like to think of it as I call it the spiral of healing, which is you're starting at the bottom. The bottom is dieting, and the momentum is always upward and onward. And then there's these loops along the way, you know, in that coil. And those are the times to look at it. And just like, as Aileen said, yeah, for sure, I was going to not have those Oreos later. That's what might cause her to eat more Oreos in that moment. So it, there's no failure with intuitive eating. See, that's really interesting. Diets, there's always failure. 95% of people who go on diets, actually, it's 98%. That's how they sell you a new one. Yeah, exactly. And um, But there's no failure with intuitive eating because if you have a moment where you're not being intuitive or tuned, 
you go, oh, okay, maybe I was over hungry. Maybe I couldn't be attuned because I was in primal hunger. Or maybe I was setting up future deprivation because I said I wasn't going to buy Oreos after this. You know, or maybe the emotions of life are so intense and I just need to comfort myself. And I want to just speak, I, I do want to speak to that for a moment. Um, in the first three editions of Intuitive Eating, the emotional eating chapter was called Cope With Your Emotions Without Using Food. It was changed in the fourth edition to cope with your emotions with kindness because there are going to be times when we just need to comfort ourselves with food and that's perfectly fine. Again, stay present so you can enjoy the comfort. Um, and especially during this COVID time, oh my goodness, I mean, People have been so stressed and continue to be stressed. And so sometimes you're going to eat more and that's okay. That's yeah. interesting. So we should normalize emotional eating because I feel yeah. like it is people really kind of make it this like negative thing, like stop emotional eating entirely, like become this other type of eater that doesn't emotionally eat. But like food is emotional. Like people have re relationships with food. Um, you feel There's like so many hormones are released when you eat certain yeah. different tastes. So that's, that's actually there are really also way worse things you could do to cope emotionally. Like yes. you could destroy yeah. your life trying to cope with things <laughs> emotionally. And I don't think that like food well, is going to do it. To it okay. I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I was, I'm finishing up my intuitive eating journal book that'll be out next year. And when I sent in the manuscript to my editor, she wrote me back and said, I can't open it. And I went, what? And I looked on in my, you know, uh, documents and there were zero bites, meaning there was nothing in there. And I went through, well, it turned out I had filed it somewhere else. It was my own, you know, error. But after I got through this hour of panicking that it was lost, I just, all I wanted was an enormous, enormous bowl of popcorn. And that's what I did. I just went and made this enormous bowl of popcorn, actually ending up not finishing it because... After a while, it was, it was just popcorn. But, but it was definitely emotional. I needed to comfort myself. And that's fine. You know, right. and that is something that people, you're right, Eileen, that, that people think that you should never eat emotionally. Not true. So I think a lot of people wrote in talking about, like, their schedules with work and just generally, like, planning. Because a lot of, like... It, I feel like in the book, it's about being in the moment and present. So, and I, you know, I'm struggling with grocery shopping. Like, how do I know what I'm going to want? How, how do you like recommend or how do you advise or help with yes. these types of scenarios? So again, if you can afford it, I would say to make sure you always have plenty of as much as you can in your home so that when you do crave something, I mean, you've got pasta in the cupboard or you have cheese in the refrigerator or you have peanut butter, jar of peanut butter. Obviously you can't have, you know, lobsters in your refrigerator every day, but, but you know, for whatever you could, uh, you can do, make sure there's, you have a plentiful cupboard and a plentiful refrigerator because so many people have nothing in their houses and that makes them feel very deprived. So that's one piece of it, so that when you do have a craving for something, maybe you're able to get it or you can order it in. But the other thing is, sometimes we just have to be practical and have practical eating. I mean, if you've got a schedule, like I see clients all day long and I have a certain time for lunch, well, occasionally I'm not that hungry. But I'm not going to say, oh, I'm not going to eat right now because, you know, I'm not at, as I said, and I don't do this, the perfect level of hunger. Ah of uh, hunger. So sometimes we have to eat when we're not quite hungry enough, or sometimes, 
you know, we just have to eat practically because we won't have a chance later. So it's not a perfect system, but as long as you have it, you should see how many chocolate bars I have in my house or, you know, or how many jars of peanut butter, especially in the beginning of um, quarantine, I got panicked that I wouldn't have, I went into that future deprivation mode and bought as much as I could of what I could get. Does that make Yeah. But what if, like, what if it's like, um, like vegetables or fish or meat, like stuff that goes bad? How do you, like plan well, I, for what? You can freeze it. I mean, you can, any kind of meat can be frozen. And actually frozen vegetables, I bought some just in case. I mean, it depends, you know, so if yeah. you have a little bit there, it, it's about being reasonable. And it's like, yeah, if I can go get the fresh vegetables, not great. If I can't, and okay, it's okay. Right. Just, Nothing has to be perfect too. Like you don't have to be a perfect intuitive eater. You can still, like you were saying, you can still eat when you're not 100% hungry. Or like if you have an hour eat the food that you made yourself, right? Without. Right. It's not, it's no such thing as a perfect intuitive eater because it, you know, that's an oxymoron actually, because there's no perfection about it. It's for the most part, if you want to adopt my four, four words, for the most part, you're eating when you're moderately hungry. You're stopping when you're comfortably full. For the most part, you're getting the most satisfaction because you're eating what you want. For the most part, it's not your only coping skill, but sometimes you're going to, emotionally and that's what it is there's no perfect hmm. is that good yeah <laughs> what you, um go ahead Sammy do you find that um like the I know you said a lot of people keep nothing in their homes I know that like I and other people who have I've spoken to used to keep or nothing in their homes because that's how you like control your late night eating or something like that just uh-huh. You know, for example, um, how do you like go from being someone who, who like essentially keeps nothing in your house as a means of control to someone who can like have things around and not binge? Basically, excellent question. So, of course, the work you have to do is this making peace with food and really feeling convinced that you'll always be able to have it. But I am not one who says, fill your cupboards on day two of intuitive eating with every food you've never let yourself have. How about just getting one of the things to start with? You know, like potato chips. Let's say that's the thing that you just really love. And have have them with every meal. Have as many as you want. And when you finally get to that point of, oh, I'll always have potato chips, they won't hold any power over you. One of the mistakes Mm -hmm. of some of the early writing back probably 30 years ago about non-diet approach, because there was some, was just fill your cupboards with everything. And I think that that's just too overwhelming to begin with. So yeah, that's my answer to that. Um, I have a question about just like now kind of the external. So like if you're becoming this, I, I knew intuitive eating is becoming actually more and more popular, like especially now. And I want to ask you after this, why you think that is. But before that, there's still a lot of people who are very much entrenched in diet culture and whether they know it or they don't, it's just the way they grew up, whether it's like parents or grandparents. If you yourself are trying to start this journey or in the middle of it or something, how do you deal with like scrutiny or like really super opinion people? How do you express to them that you're, what you're doing? Um, well, first of all, before that, I would check your social media feeds and unfollow yeah. anybody who is promoting diet culture. Um, then when 
you know, you, we don't have to proselytize. We shouldn't proselytize because if we do, it, nobody's going to listen. It's more if somebody says to you, oh, it looks like you're eating differently. What are you doing? You can just say, you know what? I've decided I'm never dieting again and I'm eating what I want and it tastes better when I'm hungry. It, just what if something- they're like, what if they are then insert their opinion? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you're just going to gain weight? Like, well, what? you know, first of all, I'm letting go of that external pressure, you know, it's like my body's going to be what it's going to be. You don't right. have to share with them your panic inside. You right. just, you know, you just say, I decided it just doesn't work for me to be focused on the weight loss. Right. That, yeah. Right. I, I find that when, if you say I'm doing intuitive eating, it's like, there's no, this just sounds like another kind of right. thing that you're doing. And you could, yeah, you just say like, Oh, I'm trying this, just trying to just like not diet for a little. See what I'm happens. Dieting and I'm just paying attention to what tastes good and, you know, how it tastes the best if I'm hungry. You don't have to, yeah, if you label it, if they are really interested and without hostility are saying to you, well, can you tell me more about that? It sounds so cool. Then you can say, I read this book. I know this person is called Intuitive Eating and I'm learning this through that. Right. That's what if you want to ask for support from others? That was another question. How do you ask? There's, there's an Intuitive Eating online community. It's uh, intuitiveeatingcommunity.org that anybody can join. And that's really helpful. And you can find a counselor, an intuitive eating counselor on the intuitive eating website. We certify counselors. We supervise and certify counselors all over the world, actually. So you put your plug in your where you live. Of course, now you can talk to anybody anywhere because we're all doing it on the computer uh, to get, you know, individual support that way. So, um, yeah, and and just try to stay away from engaging with people who are so tied up in diet culture. Just change the subject or mm-hmm. confront them, as I did with a group of women I was having dinner with one night, and it was it was a Shabbat dinner, actually, and there were six women there, and four of them, and by the way, all six of them were extremely successful professional women in so many ways, and four of them are talking about, oh, my God, I've got to lose that 10 pounds, and one of them had just gotten married and, and said, oh, my God, I, you know, I, I really want to keep this weight off that I lost for the wedding, and, and I just stood up, and I said, stop it. You know, you're all amazing women. You're so, you know, there's so much about you that's incredible. Why are you wasting all of your time and energy on worrying about 10 pounds or worrying about, you know, about this or what you've eaten or that you're being bad or good. Stop it. But what do they I, say? They're kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Some of them continue to do that. And it, it actually breaks my heart. These are wonderful people. And it breaks my heart that they are still doing this. And most of these women were in their fifties and sixties and seventies. So, you know, they've been doing this all of their lives. And it's right. just so sad to me. Heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, my, my mom is like over 60 and she literally the other day said, she's like, I, for the first time after years of yo-yoing and calories, she can name the calories on anything. Um, she literally said, she's like, I think I'm just going to live my life from now on. It's just pointless. Like, (laughs) that's amazing. Yeah. She's like, (laughs) well, maybe she's ready. I mean, Yeah. yeah. Because she, she's like, what am I going to keep doing this? Like this five pounds up and down? Like what? You know, so Sammy, it's interesting. She invited you in by saying that. She basically said, I don't want to do this anymore. And so she might be open to, well, you know, mom, there's this whole philosophy that you might love right now. I'm going to send you this book. 
Oh, she, oh, she knows. She's, it's on her list. She, we've spoken about it. She's been on this podcast before and she literally said on this podcast, she's like, sometimes I just feel like it's a life wasted of up and down and it doesn't, yeah. yeah. How sad. Well, so just why do so why do you think intuitive eating is now gaining like such a so popular these days? Or and how how would you have written it like twenty five years ago or more? (laughs) And now we're still, you know, let's start with that. It's been a bestseller for a long time. I mean, for it to go into four different editions, people were aware of it. That let me tell you, publishers want to make money, so they would not have you know agreed to new editions if it wasn't always a, a seller. But at this point in time, it's just gone viral, I guess, I hate to use that word. Anyway, it's just, it's all over. And I really think it has to do with an awakening. I think it has to do with the fact that, especially women, and this, it applies to all genders, but especially women are sick and tired of being told what to do and who they should be and what size they should be and what they should wear and what they should eat. And that's what I found from so many people. It's like, leave me alone. You know, I'm just tired of it. And so, you know, one article leads to another article, to another podcast, to another interview. And before you know it, it's all, all over the place. And I think people are ready for it. And especially in this era of social justice, people are starting to recognize, I am just tired of being marginalized by, you know, in, in this arena because I don't fit into this ideal weight. Well, what you said in the beginning that this is really a social justice issue, I think that like, I think people don't realize how political wellness is. Like every piece of it from what foods are cheap versus what foods are expensive to like what foods people have access to depending where they live to like what you see like in magazines and and the type of bodies that are you're exposed to and who pays for that. So it's inherently political, but where but it's almost like it's dieting and and the wellness industry I think is just something that they use to like keep us busy essentially. Mm. Well, and also, I said something. I was interviewed for Vogue. It came out a few months ago, and I directly said, "I think it's because of Trump." So, <laughs> you know, we're just I believe being, it. being really, you know, tired of being. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oppressed. Yeah, I'm not more than oppressed. You know, there's a some, there's a word controlled. You know, to, to you know, each part of ourselves being looked at. That's the word. Scrutinized. More than scrutinized. Objectified. 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 Yeah. So sorry. Senior moment. We are so tired of being objectified and, you know, called down for how we look. So I do actually, the political era right now is part of why this is so popular. So what do you think? What do you think? the wellness industry should like look like or what do you want for it to look like like when you click a button wellness on a website like what do you want to see well i'd want to see what is your you know physical emotional um, mental and spiritual health look like are you living a balanced life are you living a life where you have great self-care are you sleeping enough are you do you have social connections are you uh, at a place where you're doing what you think is your soul's purpose in life? Are you being, you know, are you being enriched in all these different ways? It's not about what food did you eat and did that make you healthy? By the way, there's this whole level of healthism out there too and judgment about people who aren't quote unquote healthy, but that's another podcast because <laughs> we're running out of time. Yeah. 
Um, so, so to me, wellness is, is a, a holistic approach. That's what I would say. It's holistic. It's not, you know, good food, bad food. And everybody should read Smash the Wellness Industry. You can still find it. It was a, an op-ed that was written in the New York Times about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, we had Jessica on here when, after she, right after she'd written it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, okay. and that's yeah. how we heard about um, you. And that's uh-huh. how we got connected. It was a whole, it's so funny. A train. And now yes. we've come full circle. Full yes. circle. Yeah. Um, well, so how, so how can people, uh, what's the fourth edition called, by the way? How can people go and read yes. that? If you want to okay. start, what do they do? It's called they get the workbook? Of a revolutionary anti-diet approach. That was another change. It's not non-diet. It's anti-diet. And if you're reading anything about anti-racist, it's different than not being racist. Yeah. The anti is a very important word. And it's the fourth edition, fully revised and updated. And uh, it does have a little thing on the front that says over 500,000 copies sold. So uh, congratulations. That's really amazing. Yeah. And and, uh, there's an intuitive eating website, intuitiveeating.org. It it has a list of all, there's over 130 studies, scientific studies validating intuitive eating as a, uh, evidence-based process for physical and mental health, talking about health and wellness. And um, then I have my own website, EliseRush.com, and I'm also on barely on Instagram, at EliseRush. <laughs> <laughs> and if somebody, let's say, didn't, couldn't afford finding a therapist, or what, what, what do you think is, and they need help, what do you think is the best thing that they could do? Well, I I would have them get, you know, if they can get the book and read it and then get on the intuitive eating community website just to be reading, uh, you know, people's comments who are on this journey, getting it that way. Um, Yeah. And there are, you know, in this world today, a number of us are doing some pro bono work. Don't call me for that. I'm already doing it. So, yeah, but like uh, you, you also have workbooks, I feel like. I know you said that there's one for teens. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I wrote this intuitive eating workbook for teens that came out last year. And don't laugh, we're all teens. We all have our, our teenager in us that is really driving our emotions. And so I have found it's a very direct uh, understanding of intuitive eating. And so I've found a lot of people like to go to that first and really get a sense of it. Then there's the intuitive eating workbook, which is the grown-up intuitive eating workbook. And it's much deeper and more complex. So there's those two. And then the journal book will come out next year. And then we're also on the um, on a deadline for an intuitive eating deck of cards. So you'll be able to have 52 cards with you know different little prompts on them. So That's so fun. Congratulations on everything. Oh. It's honestly amazing. Um, yeah, helping so many people. Really, really Truly. helping people, so many people. I, I so appreciate being asked to be on the podcast because I can only talk to so many people, you know, each week individually, but this goes out to a lot of people and I really appreciate your invitation. Yeah, of course. Thank yeah. you so much for taking your time and coming on and talking to everyone and talking to us and <laughs> dealing with our, our problems. Um, but I'll come on again if you want me sometime in the future. Maybe you know? we should do a yeah, live show. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, everybody go follow Elise. Go check out the book on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. And um Email us DST at Betches.com if you have any more follow-up questions. DM us at Aileen at Sammy. We're constantly fielding the DMs about this. And obviously at Diet Starts Tomorrow, aka Never. And we're always with you. Through thick and thin. 
Diet Starts Tomorrow is hosted by Aileen Cooperman and Sammy Fishbine. Our editor is Sean Kilby. Our podcast producers are Mike Coscarelli, Sean Kilby, and Carly Rice. And artwork is by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram and email your questions and non-scale wins to DST at Betches.com. Betches.